Welcome to the Mama Embodied Podcast with yours truly, Shayna Ray. I'm a somatic attachment coach and therapist that is absolutely dedicated to supporting your soul's evolution as you prepare and step into the motherhood and parenting journey. Mama Embodied is a must-listen for mothers and mothers-to-be who are seeking support, community, and all of the tips and tricks to raise secure, resilient kids that can thrive in this unpredictable world. This show is here to help you understand how putting your needs first as a mama and healing yourself on all levels, mind, body, and soul not only changes your life, but also shapes your future generation's lives to come. Through honest conversations around reparenting yourself, attachment trauma, the five personality patterns, and raising your child from a conscious, playful, and secure attachment perspective, we're going to explore the importance of embodying what you want your kids to learn so that you could be the one in the family line that stops the family inherited trauma and creates a safe and loving foundation that your family can lean on. So join me and guest experts in the field as we embrace our stories, share our wisdom, and help you create a life full of well-being, joy, love, and connection with you and your loved ones. So mamas, let's get started. How's it going, mamas? It feels so good, so right to have you back in the space with me today. And to be honest, I don't believe there's a single woman on this planet that hasn't struggled with their body image or had self-love issues at some point in their life. So I am beyond excited for you to dive into today's interview with therapist Sarah Emily Spears. Oh my God, you guys, this woman is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to this topic and is such a beautiful embodiment of her work and what is possible for every woman that struggles with their eating habits or body. So on today's episode, we cover so much. We discuss the signs and symptoms of emotional eating, how to read the signals of your specific body when you're suppressing an emotion, the art of intuitive eating, Sarah's step-by-step process of her empowered eating method. We also chat about how to tap back into your intuition and build that self-trust in your nervous system. And at the very end of the show, Sarah drops into this absolute beautiful stream around women empowerment and reclaiming our bodies that I am so freaking excited for you to get the transmission of because you will without a doubt feel like a different woman after you listen to this episode. Yeah, that ending is just that potent. So without any further ado, let's just dive into today's episode. I'll see you on the other side. All right, Sarah, welcome to the Mama Embodied Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you here and to really dive into your specialty. I think it's going to support so many women. So to start, I always like hearing your story. I think everyone that's been on the show has such a beautiful embodiment of what they teach. So I'd love for you to explain like what led you to helping women break free from emotional eating and embody more of that self-love. That definitely is why I do that because of my personal story. Back in my 20s, I moved from New York to San Diego with this intention of like 
a new beginning and I want to be as healthy as I've ever been. And so I actually, it was the first time in my life I dove into diet culture and diet culture fused with a few traumatic experiences. The end product was that I started to struggle with an eating disorder. And it started out as this obsession with trying to eat healthy. And then that very quickly led to me restricting all types of foods. And then because I was so malnourished and my body was literally starving, I started to experience binging. And then eventually that led to binging and purging. And before I knew it, I was really struggling with bulimia, which was pretty shocking also because you just wake up one day and you're like, my face is in the toilet. Oh, this isn't normal. Oh my God. You know, it's like hard to come to terms with the, that that's your reality, especially because I always considered myself to be a relatively healthy person. And then, you know, mid 20s, um, that became my reality. So I was really struggling with this eating disorder. And because I really wanted people to have a positive impression of me. You know, I kept it secret. I didn't tell anybody. I was struggling on my own pretty badly. And I had this sort of pivotal moment where I was trying to throw up a pizza I had just eaten and was practically choking on the crust. And I realized like I could actually kill myself doing this and this has to change. And so that was the moment where I sort of made a vow to God. If you can help me heal myself, like I will commit my life to helping other women because I didn't want anyone to have to struggle and suffer the way that I was. Because if anyone is currently struggling like that, you know what a living hell it truly is like in your mind and in your body to just be obsessing about what you eat and having a hard time nourishing yourself. It's, it is no way to live. And I really was committed to turning my life around and healing. And I did, you know, I really committed. I went back to school to become a marriage and family therapist because at the time I wanted to help children and teens who were struggling with eating disorders. And then that led me to discover all sorts of alternative healing modalities and energy work. And I started to, to play with fusing the traditional psychotherapy with this non-traditional alternative healing and found that for me, it was really powerful in supporting me and healing a lot of the underlying uh, eating issues. And then I started to, you know, play with these modalities with my clients and notice the same thing happening. And so that has become the work that I now offer through through my company, Energize Wellness. Wow, that is such a beautiful story. I, I think it's so important. I'm sure the women that work with you feel so deeply seen and heard because it's like you've been there and been in the trenches and have crawled yourself out of that hole. And, and I love how you pointed to, it's like, we think like, oh, I need to figure this out on my own. And I, it sounds like your journey, you started to see these different modalities and the value of receiving support so that you can give that to your clients. I think that's incredible. And it wasn't until I actually sought support that true healing happened. Because when I was trying to do it by myself, it was five years of me taking like the slow path to healing because you can't do it on your own. And so I kept getting frustrated that I was still struggling and having episodes and couldn't figure it out on my own. And, and then, you know, I finally did start to say, okay, like I do need help. Who can help me? You know, and when you finally ask for help, 
the universe has a really remarkable way of putting the right people on your path or the right modalities for you, you know, that you need at that point in time. So yeah, it was a rough journey until I said, help. (laughs) 100%. I feel I, I have this theory that everyone has to hit their personal threshold of pain to be like, okay, maybe I do need support. Like for me, I went as far as being chronically ill and bedridden to be like, okay, maybe I do need someone to help me out. Like maybe I, and cause I think we have so much shame of like, oh, I need someone to help me. Like I should figure this out by now. But as you pointed to it, it makes the journey very slow. And then you get to this rock bottom of like, no, I, I gotta do something different than what I've been doing and how beautiful, like once you have that collaboration, I think what you're pointing to also is like, your intuition comes online. You start following what lights you up and, and that's the way to, to come back home to yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. And how rock bottom are you willing to get, you know, it's like, Oh, this hurts pretty bad. Like, am I willing for things to stay the same or get worse? Or am I committed to loving myself fiercely enough to do whatever it takes to get myself to a better place. Definitely. And so it's like everyone's threshold is different, but our hope is that you guys can hear these podcast interviews and go, okay, like it's not like weak to ask for help. Like, oh my God, like hearing Sarah's story, hearing Shana's story, like it's so important to have collaboration, connection, a support system on your journey so you can elevate that. So that's absolutely beautiful. And so I know in the beginning of your story, you mentioned how you weren't sure if you had an eating disorder. There wasn't like, it was kind of confusing in the beginning. So I want to kind of start off with like, what are some signs and symptoms to emotional eating? So people that are hearing this could maybe be like, oh, maybe, maybe this is something I, I need support on. Even if you're questioning whether or not you're an emotional eater, because I didn't, I was so disconnected from my emotions that had you asked me that at that time, I would not have thought that was what I was struggling with. Yeah, I thought I was just out of control with food and it was a willpower problem. So typically the signs are going to be that you have intense food cravings that you just can't stop thinking about either a specific food or just eating in particular. You go seeking food all the time. You know, you're looking in the cabinets or just always looking in the fridge. So there's a seeking something. And even though what you're looking for is food, you're actually seeking relief from a feeling that doesn't feel good, whether or not you're consciously aware of that. And then there's the experience of once I eat something, I can't seem to stop. So people who are eating for physical hunger will stop when they're physically satisfied. And if you keep eating beyond the point of physical satisfaction, you're no longer eating for physical hunger. Typically you keep eating because you're trying to get an emotional hit, right? It's like, I'm eating because I want to feel pleasure. I'm eating because I want to feel a sense of enjoyment. I'm eating because I want to avoid feeling the stress or the overwhelm or the sadness. And so that can point to emotional eating. If you can't seem to control yourself around food and you like can't have just one, it's a lot of people will describe it as like this force kicks on and it's almost like something else is like operating my body and feeding me because your cognitive mind might be like, no, I don't want to be doing this or I'm not hungry. I don't need this. But like you actually can't stop yourself. That's at the extreme end of it. And there's a spectrum, right? So for some people, it's not going to be quite as intense as for others. Or you might notice that your own experience varies too, depending on the day or the stressors, you know, and how you're feeling. But that's a little glimpse into how emotional eating can show up. 
Totally. And I, I didn't even think about that. The average person that is struggling with eating isn't going to look at like, oh, are the signs and symptoms of emotional eating? I, I love that you pointed to that. They're not going to be looking at that, but it's really to actually, because they're so out of tune with their body and their emotions, it's almost like a, a coping strategy. So I love that you explained the signs and symptoms and also said like, hey, you're probably not going to think it has anything to do with emotion. So emotional eating might not be the thing that you're even searching for to get to the root of maybe that is the, the core wound there is the emotion piece. And because most people aren't aware of the right. underlying emotions, what they continue to seek as the solution is a diet. It's like, oh, I can't control myself around food. I can't stop overeating. I, I can't stop eating sugar. So I need to go on a diet to try and get control over my eating. And so that's why people keep looping on the diet binge cycle. Go on a diet, lose weight, start to binge, gain it all back over and over is because they keep trying to solve it with diets. And it's not a food or diet issue. It's an emotional issue. It's, it's, it's a coping issue. I just had full body chills. And I think everyone that listens to this is going to have like a awakening with this topic of even like, whether it's eating too much or dieting, focusing on like, oh, I need to try this diet and then gain it all back on you try this diet. It's like this constant way to avoid the emotions that are playing in the background. So why do we reach for food to regulate? Because it tastes so good. <laughs> I mean, that's the, the short answer, yeah. but the truth is, right, yeah. food does actually not only taste good, but it feels good. The act of eating releases, you know, chemicals in the brain, serotonin and dopamine and in the gut. And so there is an experience while eating a pleasure. But the problem is that sensation is short lived because if I'm not eating, I'm not experiencing that anymore. And so for a lot of people, and we've talked about this before with some childhood detachment stuff, if as a child, you grew up in an environment where your parents weren't there to help you process and regulate your emotions, or your parents invalidated your emotions, you know, you heard messages like don't cry or be strong or suck it up, you know, or even on a lesser intense scale, the example I give is if a child fell and cut their knee and they're crying and your the mom doesn't want to see her child upset she's like oh it's okay here be happy you know have an ice pop and immediately gives the child a piece of food to brighten that child's mood then we start to learn either i shouldn't feel i'm, I'm not supposed to feel sad or i'm not supposed to feel angry or like, ooh, food makes me feel happy, right? Because I remember when I was upset, mom gave me the lollipop to brighten my mood. Or I did well on, at soccer practice and I scored a goal and I got ice cream as a, a treat, right? And so we start to associate food with feeling better or with something that we get when we've done a good job and mom and dad are pleased with us. And so over time, we start to create these emotional attachments to food. So yes, there's the physical aspect of the food that does feel good, but then we overlay that with the emotional memories, the emotional imprints of how the brain has now sort of imprinted these foods. It's like in your brain, ice cream equals pleasure and mommy's love and, and safety. And so it's a very intense neurological hardwiring that happens in childhood. That's why they're comfort foods. And I call them these emotional attachments to foods. It's because if you didn't create a secure emotional attachment with your parents, 
you'll use food as the substitution to replace their love or to get a sense of safety. And so for many adults, we have a, a laundry list of foods that we've actually created these emotional attachments to. And when we're craving foods, we're craving how we think that food is going to make us feel according to the experiences we've had with that food in the past. Wow. Wow, Sarah. And it's so wild. I mean, we talk about this all the time. All, all this points back to attachment trauma. So what's cool is with this work, it really covers all of your bases. Like people can use repairing your attachment system for business, repairing your attachment system to learn how to co-regulate your kids, using your attachment system for body image, for self-love, for eating. I love that you're just pointing to the nuances for this category. I think there's going to be a lot of aha moments because it's also so innocent, right? Like how you were pointing to the mom that just wants to make her daughter feel better. So she gives her a treat, right? But we don't realize that it can start to trigger these almost like belief systems and like links to food for comfort and support. And it's all due to just just like an innocent low toleration for holding our kids in their emotional experiences. And I think as a mom, you want your kids to feel better, of course, right? So it's when our listeners listen to this, this isn't to shame you for what you did. It's more like to build awareness of like, oh, so this is like how we create these habits or patterns. And the beautiful thing that Sarah gets to do with her clients that I get to do with clients is that we get to repair this and give you your power back and, and all of that. And it's just understanding the, the why I hope also settles people like, Oh, it could have been innocent. I could have had a happy childhood, but this is why I emotionally eat or, or focus on dieting and, and all that stuff. Totally. And I also want to name that, you know, food and a lot of families and cultures is a source of connection and love. And for a lot of parents and moms or grandparents, like cooking is how you show love to your family. You know, you infuse grandma's cookies with, with love. It's like, we don't want to rob the joy of eating and the pleasure of eating. And it gets to be nostalgic and it gets to be something that connects you to your culture and to your family and to your roots. We just don't want it to become the default and dominant way that you try to emotionally regulate and feel positive emotions in your life. Because a lot of people, by the time they come to me and I'm like, great, what do you do for fun or pleasure? What brings you joy? And they're so void of that in their life that food is literally now the only thing that they have to turn to, to feel like pleasure in their life, right? And so it's not a matter of just like, no, I don't want you to not love food. I don't, I want you to enjoy and savor food and love it. I just want to add more into your life and give you more skills to help you with everything else that isn't supporting you and feeling your best. Yeah, I love that. It's like an avenue, but not the only thing. It's like what we're doing here in this inner work is cultivating well-being, which is like positive sensations felt in the core of your body to enjoy the present moment, to find the things that bring you joy. So I love that you're not saying like, no, don't enjoy food by all means, go to town. But what, what we want to do is give you other areas that you can feel that true happiness and joy and well-being in your life. Exactly. If you're physically hungry, I want you to sit down and love what you're eating. But if it's not physical hunger and it's emotional hunger, well, then you have an opportunity to learn how to actually meet your emotional needs and learn how to feel your feelings instead of feed them. And I know that is going to help people feel better because what happens when you emotionally eat is after the fact, you feel worse. 
you know, then there's shame and your inner critic comes on that you did it again and you overate and you're a failure or unworthy. And we start to spiral in all of this negative self-talk, yeah. which is not helpful. You know, that didn't actually solve the problem. The original emotion is still there. And now on top of that, I've got all of this self-judgment and self-hatred, which just compounds the internal like turmoil that you're experiencing. So you just get to learn new ways. Yeah, I love that. And I would love to get your expertise and understanding of when someone does overeat and then they feel guilty. Like what are some great tools or perspective shifts or something they can do to bounce back or move through the guilt or the shame or that harsh inner critic that comes in? First, recognize the inner critic. You need to have an awareness of the voice and the words that you're speaking to yourself. So many of us are so unconscious of how we're even talking to ourselves, And I think the scientists say that like 95% of the thoughts we think today are repeated thoughts that we've thought the day before and the day before. And so we have a lot of actually unconscious thinking. So in order to shift how you're speaking to yourself, A, you have to be aware of every negative thought you think and words you speak towards yourself. And then once you do that, you can kind of look at it Notice how that makes you feel and work on changing that thought to be a little bit more loving. So you could ask yourself, what would I say to a child, my child, you know, or a friend, if they were saying this about themselves, I'm such a loser. What's wrong with me? I can't control my eating and I hate myself. You know, you'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like that's a little, that's a little harsh. That's a little intense. Like it's okay. You know, okay. So you overate. That doesn't make you a bad person. You're still worthy and deserving of love. What is it that you need? actually to feel better do you need a hug do you need to lay down because you're tired and so it's an opportunity to start to talk to yourself in a way that you would talk to people you actually love and care for because you need to learn how to love and care for yourself through your words it's about checking in with okay if i overate i was eating this because something didn't feel good what doesn't feel good what do i actually need right i've learned for myself i'm like man if i'm craving cookies i know if i overeat cookies that there's an emotional thing that got triggered that I have to deal with. And so it's an opportunity to actually take care of myself by scheduling a healing session or just doing some inner work on myself to understand like what's happening for me and to process those emotions. And then the third thing is to know that there is no such thing as like bad food and bad eating habits. Your eating habits are just a doorway for you to learn more about yourself and understand why am I eating this way and what's going on? But it's always in response to something. It's not because you're fundamentally flawed as a human. And one reason that people feel guilty usually is because they have this language around good and bad. Like if I eat clean, I'm good. And if I eat according to my diet plan, I'm good. And if I only eat like raw, healthy food, then I've done good. But if I eat any of these foods that I believe are bad because experts have told me they're bad, then I feel guilty about eating that. And so if we can remove those labels and just say, uh, no, no such thing, you can eat all foods and feel good. It's just about listening to your body and eating what you truly are needing in that moment and quantities that feel right and good for your body. Then there's no reason to feel guilty. You haven't done anything bad. You deserve to nourish yourself. Like that is completely okay and acceptable. And you enjoy, or you deserve to eat foods that you enjoy too. You get to enjoy the bad foods as much as you get to enjoy, quote unquote, the clean foods. And I hate those words, but I'm just using it because that's how people tend to speak about these topics. 
Yeah, there, it, it made me think of there's a quote that's like, there's no such thing as good or bad, only thinking makes it so. And it's right. so true. It's like, instead of labeling things as good or bad, right or wrong, that can even soften the critic, you know, and it's a skill set. It's not like something that's going to flip overnight. But I think all the things you pointed to are such great, easy takeaways that people can like that are listening can be like, oh, okay, this is great to start to notice and build awareness. I always tell my clients, it's like the difference between what you know, ordinary mind and subtle mind. So ordinary mind is like, I am these thoughts. I am the critic, blah, blah, blah. And what you were explaining is what I call subtle mind of like, oh, I notice the inner critic because it's just a part of you. It's not all of you. And so as you shift and be like, oh, I notice the critic. And then like you said, tap into the inner child. What would what would I need in that moment? Can I give actually that critic softness of like, thanks for, you know, I know you're just trying to take care of me, but like, I'm right here. What do you need? It's, and I love even how you can build awareness on, cause we're going to get dysregulated in life or like reach for a handful of cookies. Like, hell yeah. And I love how you're like, oh, I notice certain foods when I have a little bit more. It's like, oh, there's some emotions that want to come up. And I think that's an incredible tool. Cause it's not like, we're all never going to like overeat a sweet or something our whole lives. But when we can be like, oh, interesting, I'm doing this a little bit more this week and take advantage of that, use that as a beautiful opportunity to repair some type of emotional experience you're feeling in the background. I think that's, that's the way to go. Exactly. To really know yourself and understand your unique habits. And when you understand your eating habits and tendencies, then that's not something to judge and shame. That's something that's actually quite empowering and can be a doorway to your liberation and a stepping stone to greater self-love and self-care, which is exciting when you realize that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just like everything our body is communicating to us. It's like, if we just start to listen to those cues or like, be like, Oh, here's a symptom. Oh, I know what this usually means. Let me go meet that, that need. That's what we want to do here. We want to be able to uh, like, our bodies are so incredible. They're tapping our shoulder and letting us know what's up. And if we can be just open to those cues instead of thinking we're bad or wrong and just go get the emotional support. I think a lot of the things we do that we're like, we get hard on ourselves is like, there's an emotional component because we weren't taught how normal, like you were pointing to the good or bad, right or wrong. Even negative emotions were seen as like, no, we should not be feeling that. So we're going to avoid that at all costs. But when we can shift to accepting the full range of emotions and human experiences, we can also pop out of the, the negative ones a lot quicker. Yeah. And rebuilding that body awareness is an important step in all of this, yeah. especially for women who are emotionally eating or using food to soothe. There is often such a disconnection from the body or a judgment of the body itself and shame around body weight and shape and size that learning to like honor the body and actually listen to her and respect the signals can take some time to repair that. Like I know for myself, when I had bulimia, I was like, I don't trust my body. My body is telling me to binge. My body is telling me to throw up this food. Like I don't trust a thing that my body is telling me. And so that can be really disorienting when you have essentially conditioned your, your body into a pattern that has become so the intention for me was healthy, right? I had a healthy intention and binging and purging was actually to try and help me process emotions, but it became so unhealthy, right? It got out of control. So then there's like, oh, I really need to repair my broken self-trust. 
And it cannot, you know, it can be really challenging to get to the point where you trust your body again. That's why a lot of women who come to me struggle with intuitive eating because they're disconnected from their intuition and they haven't repaired that pathway to understanding how their body's actually communicating with them from a healed place. Wow. No, totally. And I'm so glad we're snowballing into this conversation of intuitive eating. You see this on social media all the time, but it's like what you pointed to, if you have broken trust with your body, how are you going to tap into the intuition? So what are some tools uh, you use with clients to help rebuild that intuitive eating muscle? One of the places that I start is actually working on building that somatic awareness it's helping someone drop from their head and the mental field down into the body to actually start to recognize, oh, what are the physical sensations I'm experiencing? Huh, wow, what are the emotions? You know, oh, is this like tightness in my chest? Actually, could this be an emotion? You know, and so we start to explore the landscape of what I call the inner world from the neck down. And you start to rebuild the pathway of awareness to the cues and sensations in the body, the felt sense and the experience. And when we're in go mode most of the time, you know, with the gazillion things we have to do, and I'm sure for moms with children, it's like even more so the case that like the amount of energy you have going out, there's almost no awareness paying attention to what's happening within yourself. So you have to really rebuild this self-awareness and introspection and start to understand what's happening in your body and put the pieces together around, oh, when I feel this, this is an indication that I'm frustrated or, oh, wow, when I feel these knots in my stomach, it's because I feel disgust, you know? And so you start to build your own map of your own emotional world So that's step one. And then the second piece is then what do I do with this awareness? Like, oh, I can feel, I know the sensation. I know I'm frustrated. How do I process this? And when we're together, we'll we'll do some co-regulation or emotional processing together. But I teach clients how to use emotional freedom technique or tapping as a tool and skill that they can use on their own to help uh, emotionally process those energies and bring a little bit more relaxation and regulation to the, the nervous system and brain. Oh, I love that. It's like you're blending co-regulation with self-regulation. And then as you get more co-regulation, it's actually easier to use those tools of self-regulation. That makes so much sense. Yeah. You build the capacity to feel your emotional body and know that you have the capacity to be with yourself in the emotions. You know, I tell people we have to get comfortable with the discomfort. Yes. You know, that's, and, and it's funny, you know, everyone, we have this glamorized thinking when we're like, I'm going to do healing and I'm just going to feel good. And you're like, uh, actually what you signed up for is to get more comfortable with sitting in the shitty feelings. Like you're, <laughs> and, and as I started to, cause for, with emotional eating, you have so much unprocessed emotions. You've been stuffing down your emotions for so long with food that when you finally stop, you're like, why do I feel so shitty all the time? And it's like, welcome, because we're finally processing everything that you maybe from childhood haven't had the opportunity to move through your body and system. So it can be a lot, you know, you start to really feel some intense stuff. And yeah. that doesn't stop from my experience. It's like, wow, now I'm just so open to my emotions that it's like they come on like tsunamis sometimes because I have the capacity to handle the tsunami now. And 10 years ago, a tsunami would have like probably left me paralyzed, right? It was like too intense for me at that stage in my life. So I think people, you know, need to understand <laughs> when they're like, 
ooh, wanting wanting to help themselves heal. Like that's really what it what it's gonna look and feel like. Not always good. <laughs> yeah, I love the transparency because it's so true. I I literally had a client last week that was like. So do we always just process grief and sadness and the anger in here? Like, and I'm like, well, we do that a lot. Yeah. Because there, there's so much suppressed and you finally have a place once a week to go to like process and get the remedy. Right. And start to learn that it's actually safe to flow through it. And also get the tangible proof that it doesn't last forever. That when we drop into the body, instead of going into the mind to figure it all out, it does move and there is relief and well-being will come to you. It's going to naturally flood your system when you just accept what is and ride the whole emotional wave with someone. So I love that because intuition is tapped into like feeling in with your body, right? And so most of us didn't get that co-regulation in childhood and that critical time of developing that secure attached nervous system, if you will. So that's why you guys, like most of us are up in the brain trying to figure it all out consciously, trying different coping strategies because we weren't taught that it's safe to feel that it doesn't last forever, that it's okay. You're not going crazy. It's just part of the human experience. And I love that you're pointing to like, oh, like just trust me, I'm doing this work and I get hit with a tsunami of emotions, but I can, I have the capacity to move through it. There isn't like this fear because you, you built that trust in your nervous system. You built that capacity to be with an overwhelmingly emotional, energetic experience, but also flow out of it back into regulation. Exactly. Yeah. You know how to take care of yourself now. Yeah. I know how to meet my true needs in a way that actually helps me return to my baseline and my natural state of well-being. Yeah. Cause regulation, nervous system regulation, isn't about being like, I think there's this like weird belief that it's like, oh, you're just like calm and blissed out and happy all the time. It's like, no, regulation means you're not getting stuck in a fight or flight response, stuck in a freeze. Like you're going to get to those pathways. It's about having emotional fluidity, how to move through each pathway and come back to regulation is a regulated nervous system. And you provide that beautiful training grounds for women to understand that. So they're not using food or focusing on dieting as the coping strategy. And I also loved how you're like, when you're more aware of your body, it's like, oh, my stomach dropped. There's a pit in my stomach. Oh, racing heart. It's like, you get to connect like, oh, there's some dysregulation here versus staying in the mind, staying in a coping strategy. And that's what helps us get back into regulation is step one. What does dysregulation feel like in my body? Like, is there certain ones where like, oh, the remedy is EFT in this, these moments or reaching out for co-regulation with Sarah? It's like getting a toolbox um, and knowing your body is what creates that intuition, creates that self-trust and, and all of that that comes with it, which is beautiful. Yeah. And the more you explore this work, the more you learn for yourself what you need when. You know, I say like, you'll learn if I'm angry, oh, I might actually need to go to a boxing class and like move this intense energy or I need to yell, like that's what I need. Or I'm just so sad, I just need to cry on the phone to my girlfriend. It's like, you, you do need an assortment of tools and processes that you can turn to depending on what you're going through. And I say this in my group programs to people, you know, one person when they're sad may find tapping works for them. Tapping works for me, but tapping isn't necessarily a strategy that everyone resonates with. So I want you to learn it and give it a good shot and play with it and see how it benefits you if and when, but maybe that doesn't work for you and breath work is the way for you or embodied movement works for you. You know, there's so many tools 
and processes that people can learn. And so I think it's really exciting when you get to just play and learn and not have to have, it's not like there's a right answer. It's not like, oh, when I feel this, I do this and then I'm better. It's like, no, in every moment there's a, I need to be present with the emergence of my experience and listen to what I'm actually needing from my body, not look outside of myself for the answers. Oh, I love that. Yeah, there's no one size fits all. So once again, as you build that intuition, you'll also start to get more in tune with that instead of like, oh, someone else did the thing and that helped them. We were talking about this when we were, uh, were on recording, but it's like, instead of focusing like, oh, it works for them. So I should do the thing because that's got to work for me. It's more like you can try different things, but really getting in tune with like, there is no one size fits all. What what works for me? What deeply makes me feel supported and and going creating that map for yourself getting creating that toolbox for you is incredible so we talked about intuitive eating and I know you're so embodied in this process and I know um, on your page you have like this empowered eating process right so I'd love for you to give us kind of like a, a walkthrough if you will or a summarization whatever you feel called to share about your process Yes, I'd love to share. The reason I sort of created this process was because of what I mentioned with both intuitive eating and mindful eating. It's, a lot of people are so mindless in their eating habits that it's like it's not until after the fact <laughs> that they realize they did it again. So if you're not quite mindful yet, you know, it's hard to practice mindful eating. And it's hard to do intuitive eating if your like intuition is broken. So we need a process to help repair both of those things while also like nourishing yourself. And if you struggle with food and eating, that is one of the most frustrating things. I know this was true for me. I'm like, I don't understand why, like, I don't know how to feed myself. This is crazy. Like I knew how to feed myself when I was in high school, no problem. Animals in the wild can feed themselves, no problem. No one needs a manual on how to eat. Why can't I figure this out, right? So <laughs> to, to repair, both listening to my intuition, meeting my true needs, and actually learning how to nourish myself according to my body takes some practice and needs some steps. So the first step is simple, which is to pause and breathe because usually we're just swept up in the unconscious going. And so we need to have a moment to stop and interrupt the movement to actually create a pause so you can check in with yourself. So when you pause, you take a few deep breaths and then you go within and tune into the body. So we go from the mind down below the neck and just notice what's going on within. And the question that I love for people to ask is, why am I wanting to eat right now? Is it because I'm physically hungry or is it because I want to feel better? Something doesn't feel good right now. And if it's physical hunger, then you have an opportunity to ask yourself, what am I truly hungry for? And to listen and just notice what comes into your mind. Sometimes what we think we're hungry for is actually a food craving. And other times it's truly physical hunger. And you'll know because you'll be like, mm, I don't know, what could I go for? Like, ooh, pasta? No, that doesn't sound good. Like, and, and you start to search for something and then you'll land on something that you're like, ooh, like the idea of that sounds good. And you maybe start to integrate, like infuse that with like what sounds good with what would be like a loving food choice for me. I just had pasta for lunch actually, but I had pasta and I added beans to it and I added some broccoli. And so it was like, I'm also taking into consideration nourishment and trying to just include a variety of food groups because I love myself and I wanna both nourish myself with foods that I know add all the macronutrients, but I also wanna eat something that I enjoy. 
And so you start to go through that process for yourself with physically nourishing yourself and then just tuning into how hungry am I and really slowing down when you're eating so that you can start to recognize physical satisfaction and stop when you feel satisfied. Then the other side of that is if you're like, okay, I'm, oh, I want to eat something and I'm, I'm looking in the cabinets. Is this physical hunger? And you're like, no, I just ate dinner. Like, I know this isn't physical hunger. I'm seeking something else. Then we go down the emotional hunger pathway mm-hmm. and you go through a series of questions. What am I craving? What am I truly hungry for? If I want to eat because something doesn't feel good, what doesn't feel good right now? And you notice what answer you get. You know, and sometimes it's, I'm pissed at my kids. It's so noisy in this house. Work was crazy. I'm just so tired. It's my period, Uh, you know, PMS. There can be so many answers. And then you're like, oh, well, is eating that gonna help solve this? No, that's not actually gonna make me feel better. So now what is it that I truly need? And so then this is where you start to play with the different skills for emotional regulation. Um, I teach essential skills, but breathing, meditation, tapping, energy work, um, you know, you can do movement and, and you start to experiment with what do I actually need to be with right now and how can I meet my true need? Sometimes the need is for connection. Sometimes the need is for just solitude. Sometimes the need is a nap. And other times it's like, no, I need to move this emotion. Like I am feeling something. And, you know, I, I teach people tapping in that moment as, as an option of what to use if you're by yourself. But we could fill that in with lots of other choices. Wow. That is an incredible process. I'm sure everyone is so excited how, and then so you map it out so clearly and so beautifully of like the step-by-step practicality and also the different ways it could go, right? Emotions, like physical. I love that you really map out every single step of the journey in a, in a way that is very digestible. Like everything you were naming, I'm like, oh, I can follow that. Okay. That's simple. Checking in. And it sounds like if you don't know the questions, it's more like working with you one-on-one to process more emotions, to make, like, to be able to tap into those answers even deeper or more instantly. Exactly. Yeah. I love it. And so to wrap up, I would love to even dive into body image and self-love because a lot with eating has to do with not loving yourself or just like the harsh inner critic, like we were talking about earlier. And I know with women going through the motherhood journey, you get pregnant, then you're growing a baby inside of your womb. And then you have the recovery time of postpartum and your body has completely shifted on a physical way. So I wanted to see if there's any tips or perspective shifts or ways women can improve their body image as it changes and really cultivate more of that self-love. It is so important because this is one of the more common situations that I see is, you know, women will say, well, after I gave birth, I just never lost the weight or that's when I gained all this weight. And that's when the most dissatisfaction with oneself and body started, which is so heartbreaking because you're entering like the most magical time in your life as a mother. And yet our society has brainwashed us so much with this toxic beauty and diet culture that like we are so fixated on body equals my lovability and my worthiness and my enoughness in a society that that becomes the forefront of our thinking and our self-obsession. And it's like, ah, you know, it's so infuriating. And I understand, you know, we're all kind of caught in that web to a certain degree. So there's no shame or blame, 
but it's first of all recognizing like wow i have my brain has really been hijacked by an industry that makes a ton of money on me believing there is a right body weight and shape to have and as long as i choose to agree to that i am giving my power away to the powers that be and i choose to feel like i I choose to stop loving myself step two is to recognize that like your body is going to change that is a given in life like we know some things for sure we know you're gonna age and your body is gonna change from the moment you were born your body changes you didn't stay an infant your whole life so (laughs) it grows it stretches it changes shapes and like that doesn't ever stop so we have this idea like oh once i'm 18 and an adult like my body should just stay the way it was when i was 18 or the way it was when i was 20 and it's like that's ridiculous so we need to really accept the truth, the reality that like my body is going to constantly change. And wherever your body is right now today, even if you don't like it, guess what? In 20 years from now, it's going to be different. Like that's inevitable. And when we see people who have done the plastic surgery and they've paid a ton of money for their body to look the same, you know, then again, we're stuck in this comparison of that's how my body should be, but that's not natural. And that's not true. So if we had a culture that celebrated that we age, that celebrated our wrinkles, that celebrates your body changes and celebrates the initiation into motherhood, that like, holy crap, your body, by the way, just grew life and gave birth through your yoni to the miracle of life. Like, can we, like, we should all be like bowing to your body. Like, it's just such an incredible temple and we need to shift the perspective and the lens through which you view the body to one of celebrating it, to thanking it, body appreciation and gratitude and continue to work on dismantling all of the programming and and the toxic beliefs that we've been fed so that you can really be liberated to exist in your body exactly as it is without an ounce of shame because it the curves the bigger breasts the cellulite like it's all so welcome and wonderful and it's not to be rejected or disowned and i think the biggest like tragedy is when we spend the rest of our life trying to control food in order to control our body in order to feel worthy and deserving of loving ourselves like i just want people to think, you know, at the end of your life, when you're a hundred years old and you look back on your life, I don't think your biggest regret is going to be that you had however many more pounds on your body than you did. I think it's going to be the fact that you spent all your time trying to get it off and weren't able to be present to like all of the magical moments in your life. So yeah. that was a tangent. Sorry. It just, uh, an incredible <laughs> tangent. You know, me, like, I got a little fired up on that one. I loved it. I literally had full body chills as that streamed through you because it's so true. I love how you just started to go on this whole, like you guys, this is a massive initiation and like, how beautiful can we celebrate? Like you just created life from your womb. Like Yoni, like it's like, I don't think we take a pause to realize the incredible concept of that like how a spirit can come into the body and you birth this into the world like women are such freaking powerhouses and we're getting so lost in what you said it's like the culture the mainstream media that's like but we should care about the look and it's like well what did you just do and accomplish like can we like radiate and what you just did right and so I think that is going to open women's minds to like oh like let me shift the focus to how incredible my body is to be able to birth 
a baby to have this family is created because it came through my womb, my body. Like, geez, if we spent our time focusing on the appreciation for how incredible that process is, I think that'll start to slowly drip the concept of like, but it doesn't look like this, but I don't look like that. Right. I think there might even be more appreciation for what you got. And like you said, I, I love that question. I, I always have that question of like on my deathbed, will this matter? Like, I always like, will ask that like, Oh no. Okay. Like, well, it will like how I was connected to people, how I made people feel, how they made me feel like how I enjoy just being in the sun. Like the simple moments with people or with myself, like that is what I'm going to appreciate more than worrying about the body, the image, the, the, this or that. Yes. So I love that you, that's I what your soul fire. came here for. You know, did your soul say, Oh, I want to come down to earth in that body so that I can master eating perfectly and have the perfect body. It's like, no, that is not what you came here for. Your yeah. soul was like, I am coming in for the human experience, like to enjoy the food and to laugh and have so much fun and yeah, to go through the the growing pains of the human experience and to learn how to love this body because it is mine and there's no one else on the earth who has this body and how can I learn to like fiercely love the shit out of it? Yeah. Like that would be the greatest accomplishment of your life and you get to like fully declare that for yourself. Yes. And it's never too late. And I'm so excited for every woman that listens to this episode, Sarah, because I think they're going to get fired up of like, yeah, right. I like the good news, no matter how old you are listening to this episode, like there's still so much life to live and it's never too late. So this is everyone's permission slip to, to shift that focus. And like, you get to choose that now. And can I say one more thing about Oh, please. Aging? You're on fire. You I know. I'm like, <gasps> okay. I'm like really working up a sweat. <laughs> yeah. No, I absolutely love it. Keep it coming. I, when I first, before I went back to school to be a therapist, yada, yada. And when I was struggling with my eating disorder, I was a personal trainer. So I worked at a gym helping people try and change the shape of their body and lose weight. And I worked with women well into their 80s, some in their 90s. And I remember being so shocked because I was like, they don't like themselves either. Like as a young person, I just assumed that like my grandparents and elder people like were at peace with their bodies, like that they don't struggle with body image, like they're cool with how they look. And I, it was like the stark reality check of like, oh no, you never learn to love and like your body. Like they are still really putting themselves down even into their eighties. And what a sad, it like broke my heart. Like that is just so heartbreaking that your whole life you've never felt good in your body and your skin. Like, oh my gosh. And for me, it was like, shoot, Sarah, like I don't feel good either. Like I'm so hard on myself now. This also isn't going to change if I don't work on changing it now. Like if I can't love and accept myself now, I'm not going to love and accept myself then. And so I think we have this, like we forget that this stays with us our whole life and we forget that the body is going to keep changing so like now is as good a time as ever to learn to love it yes it is so important to look at those kind of instances and be like wow like i think it's probably i don't think there's a single woman i know that hasn't had body image self-love issues and it's like we're like welcome to the club we're all in it 
And why not take this as a permission slip and a beautiful opportunity to love our bodies more? And I think when we love our bodies, however the hell they look, we're going to move in the world in a way more empowered way. Like, I think there's so much goodness that comes from you really being like, hey, this is my body. I'm going to walk in this and like, take it or leave it. Like what an energy to live life from. Seriously. And as you're saying that, I'm like, I feel that in my body. And imagine if every woman today was like, F this, we're not living according to this old paradigm. We're all stepping into like radical self-love. Like I feel like (laughs) the world, it would be like magnitude of up-leveling, you know, it's crazy. The power that we have just with the choice, I will no longer stand or tolerate putting myself down in my body. Like I refuse, even when those moments happen, to like let that pass my mind or lips without me checking it and challenging it. Oh, I've literally we're on a stream, Sarah. Because I, I know have, like, I'm like, is she your name do I have to shut up now? <laughs> no, absolutely not. I absolutely love it. No, it's it's really incredible, and I think people are going to get this transmission of like, oh, fuck all of that. Let's let's unite. Let's stay together, and like, and it's not about everything. Me and Sarah are pointing to does not mean you're never going to have a body image or self-love issue ever again. But this is why we do the work is actually when that comes up, know how to flow through those emotions versus staying in the head, getting your toolbox, reaching and getting co-regulation or using EFT, getting those self-regulation tools that work for you. It's like being able to just flow through them instead of like, let that be your whole entire life. And I know that these mamas have kids and A big motivating factor is I don't want my children to grow up feeling this way, right? I hear that all the time. So it's like as you start to model what it is to fully love yourself and your body, like that is the biggest sort of combative force against a society that wants to program your child to believe otherwise. Like your transmission, your breaking out of that sort of paradigm is what is going to show your child how to do the same for themselves. So it's like kind of a big deal to do that. It's a super big deal. It's like we learn what we live, right? Like our parents are our biggest role models and we'll like, it's wild. Like a kid can pick up on all the nuances that like you embody throughout the day. And that's why we always talk about it's not selfish to put your needs first because you want to model a life that like your kids are like, oh, like this is the way to be like loving my body, like having moments that are hard. Okay. Let's flow through it together. Like all of that starts with mama and starts with how she um, is flowing through her day-to-day life. So I thought that that's a great way to wrap up this episode is that kind of self-reflection piece and not to, you know, and I want to highlight like that's, that's a lot to take in of being the role model, right? It's it's not something that we're trying to add like stress, but more like how exciting it gets the the paradigm of focusing on body image issues constantly and letting that rule your life can stop with you. And as you get that need met and get that support and you're showing your kids that, they're not going to have these examples that continue for generations and generations and generations and how amazing is that? Right. Like if doing it for yourself isn't enough of a motivating factor, then thinking about this and the ripple effects on your children and their children, you know, maybe that will be enough of a reason to start to to put it to practice. Agreed. So Sarah, this has been an incredible conversation. I'm so grateful to have you on the show and to wrap it up, like how could people connect with you and work with you? 
Yeah, thank you. I had so much fun chatting with you and, and with your audience. And I can be found on Instagram. It's at Sarah Emily Spears. You can connect with me there. My website is sarahspears.com. And on both of those, you can find either my application form to join my waitlist or find some of the courses and freebies that I have, or just send me a message and say, hi, I'd love to connect um, and really answer any questions or just meet whoever felt resonance with, with our conversation today. Oh, amazing. Well, thank you again for having this conversation. It's been incredible. I'd love to have you back on the show um, in the future. And yeah, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. I love the work that you're doing. Thank you for serving these mamas. They're lucky. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you know someone who would benefit from hearing this message, please share it with them. And if you're loving these conversations, make sure to subscribe and leave me a review on what you love about the show so I can keep the good vibes coming your way. Now, in case no one told you today, I want you to know that you're doing a fucking incredible job and the world is so much better with you in it. So thank you for being here and I cannot wait to see you in the next episode.